Singh. I am a senior here at UGA where I study communication studies and religion. Uh, I serve as president of Phi Slam. I co-lead a small group through crew and involved in international student ministry. I've been attending Living Hope for about two and a half years now and I serve on the facilities team and it is an honor to share a part of my testimony with you all today. When I think back over the overarching theme of my life, I see the theme of experiencing the presence of God. Growing up, my house never really felt like a home, and for about 10 years, I was the middleman between two separated parents who didn't really love each other but would act happily married in public settings. This is what I thought love was. I had a daily routine of going straight to my room, crying out to a God who I did not know, asking why is love so angry and loud. The pain I was feeling soon succumbed to numbing. And like many young boys searching for satisfaction and comfort, I turned to pornography to avoid feeling anything real and became quickly addicted to it. Being inspired by my older sister's faith though, I came into high school to experience, uh, with, with a journey to experience true joy. And by the grace of God, he provided. When I was a freshman in high school, I had the privilege of attending Young Life Camp uh, where I got to hear the gospel fully laid out in simple terms. And for the first time in my life, I understood it. Hearing that God would rather send his one and only son, Jesus, to be sent down to earth, be brutally murdered on a cross, than to not be in a relationship with me, changed my life forever. And I realized that I would never truly be alone. At the end of both roads of insecurity and faith, the one truth that the Lord reminds me of is that I'm his beloved. Despite growing up in an environment where true love felt fake and I constantly felt ashamed for my lack of biblical knowledge, I was constantly reassured of the love that the Father had for me. A little over a month ago, I got a tattoo to remind me of this very truth that I now struggle to remember, that I am his beloved son. For me, this tent, this tent tattooed on my arm represents the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And all throughout the Old Testament, uh, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit was a physical place. It was either the mountain or the tabernacle or, or the temple. Um, but God changed everything when Jesus came. Uh, he put his spirit into his one and only son, and he came and became fully God and fully man. John 1.14 says, uh, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word for dwelt used here can literally be translated to pitch a tent or abide in a tabernacle. This is how I know that my home is not defined by a physical place in which I'm living, but rather I can be home wherever I am in the world because I have the spirit of the Lord dwelling within me. Since getting to college, I have been slowly but surely stepping into the process of healing from my wounds from childhood and learning to really have grace for myself. Befriending my true self has been made possible to me through counseling, a loving community, and fighting the good fight of faith even when I felt like I just really needed to give up. It is in this process of bringing my shameful flaws out of hiding where I'm truly able to actually experience the love of God that he has always desired for us to experience. Thank you. Amen. Man, thank you, Austin. Great testimony. All right. Children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that exit. The rest of you, take out your Bibles. Turn to the Gospel of John. Good morning, everybody. I'm David Holt, one of the pastors. Glad to have you today. Before we get into the Word, I want to share a few quick praises. Um, the Sopletas did ministry at NC State last week. Four people saved, right? Amen. Let's give praise to God for that. 
And then y'all remember uh, back a month or so ago, our, we had Kid Fest, kind of what most churches call VBS, and the kids did a contest with the offering every night, the girls against the guys, and they put their coins only in here. And it was awesome to watch because uh, every, every day uh, they would bring more coins and more coins and more coins. Well, we took it to the bank this week. I think we broke a record for the amount of time it took the coin counter to run all the money. The total, and this goes to give Bibles to people, $537.88. Yeah. So, remember, there's no junior Christians. Okay? Children that know Jesus can do great things for the kingdom. Uh, so, another praise is just an update on our world missions giving. We now support 17 workers, and many of them are highlighted on our map over there. And uh, this year, we've been able to give, above our monthly support, we've, we've been able to give $10,000 for some needs in Indonesia, Malawi, and the persecuted church. So, praise God for that. Yeah. So, again, when you give here, you're giving beyond here. You need to know that. Also, so honored today, Gip Marchetti's in the room. Good to have you back, Gip. He's going to stand. Look at him. Come on. Yeah, brother. So, prayer team, when we go to our response time today, I want at least two of you over there, uh, just pour all the oil on him, man. Just, just, no, I'm just kidding. Just soak him. No. Pray for his continued healing. So, good to have you back, Gip. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for all these truths about who you are, Jesus, that we get to proclaim. Thank you that you are sufficient. You are enough. You are all that we need. So we love you, and now just pray that you'd bring light and anointing to your awesome word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to have more. We're going to have an extended response time today. So that was just a brief warm you up for worship. Word, then more worship after. Um, it's been a challenging week for me, personally, um, but I have a new term for God. He's not just sovereign, he's super sovereign. I have seen his sovereignty on display in the last week plus, it's been so cool. This, every Sunday morning I go to the Golden Pantry before I come here early and uh, kind of developed a relationship with some of the workers there at the one in Bishop, and uh, this morning it was cool because now that I guess they all know I'm a pastor, I don't really advertise that, but they said, Pastor, what you preaching on today? And all of a sudden, all the people in the kitchen are looking at me. So I got to say, I'm preaching on the seven I am statements of Jesus. And I went through every one of them. And uh, they were all like, yeah, awesome, cool, amen. So I get to do a little mini sermon at the Golden Pantry and then an extended version for y'all. Here's number one. Jesus said, and by the way, this is, this is kind of our last message in the Close Encounters with Jesus series. We're kind of bringing that to a halt. The next two weeks after today will be missions, and then some new stuff, and then, uh, Lord willing, uh, the next book of the Bible I'm going to go through is the book of Galatians, so get ready for that. But today I want to preach on the seven I am statements of Jesus. These are awesome. They're all found in the Gospel of John. Got tons of props today. Why? Because Jesus was the master of props. Listen, I'm just trying to be like him, because he often did things in the physical that made reference to the spiritual, which is what we see in every one of these today. He took physical things that they were familiar with, and he used them to be object lessons for truths about himself. That's what props are. First is this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, with each of these, I'm going I'm to talk about some of the 
background in the Old Testament that would have been kind of the precursor for what he was saying. But then I'll talk about what was true in that culture for these items. And so let's read uh, John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus then said, and by the way, this is soon after he fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Mm, aren't you glad there's true bread today? Woo! There's fake bread. <laughs> there's imitation bread. <laughs> there's pretend to be bread. Jesus is the true bread. And he's the one you need to go to. Listen, you can eat a lot of bread out there from a lot of different sources. Jesus invites you to eat from him, to get life from him. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's you, me. They said to him, sir, give us the, this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. That may be some of you today. Maybe watching online. You've seen him. You've heard about him. You've heard the gospel, but you refuse to believe. You refuse to eat the true bread. Now, in the Old Testament, bread was referred to as that which God gave his people in the wilderness. There was the show bread in the temple. A lot of references to bread. The, the bread, the unleavened bread at Passover. Mmm. Mmm. Passover. That great experience that the Israelites celebrated every year when God delivered them from Egypt and slavery. And then, of course, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Bread was a staple in that culture. It was good. It was healthy. It didn't have the additives that some of our bread has today. It may not be as healthy, but it was a staple. I mean, you survived on it. It was, it was just expected in your daily diet. And Jesus said, men shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my mouth. And so in this first one, we see that it's pointing to salvation because his body was broken for us, for our redemption, for our justification, salvation. But it's also for our daily survival, our sanctification, salvation. We need to feast upon him. We need to eat from him every day. We need to go to him in the word and prayer and stay connected throughout the day, continually eating from him, taking him in. You're saved. You receive him. You say, Jesus, come in and be my life, be my forgiveness, be my everything. I surrender to you. And that's the bottom line today. With every one of these, the bottom line is this. Jesus is all you need. <laughs> Jesus is all you need for salvation. Jesus is all you need for purpose. Jesus is all you need for your healing. Jesus is all you need for your struggles, for direction. Everything you need, he has. That's the bottom line today. That's the summary of everything we're going to see today. And so how cool that he takes something that they experience every single day. And he said, I, I'm what you need. <laughs> I'm what you need every day. I, I can satisfy. I can conquer. I can nourish you. Oh, how we need nourishment. 
You need good spiritual food every day. The Word, fellowship, prayer, the Holy Spirit. It's all encompassed in that. So my question to you is, is He your bread? Have you initially taken Him in for salvation, for forgiveness, for reconciliation with God? And then if you, if you have, do you daily take Him in? Do you seek His face? Do you feast upon Him? Hallelujah. He is sufficient. Number two. He said, I'm the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. Powerful statements. Again, taking something familiar in their daily life and relating it to himself. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world, 8.12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light was familiar to them from the Old Testament, Genesis 1.3. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God's glory or His manifest presence would come into the temple in the form of light, brilliance. God guided His people in the wilderness by a cloud by day and fire or light by night. Light is often used in the Bible as, a, as, a, as a, the difference between light and darkness. Darkness being evil, darkness being satanic, darkness being away from God, light being truth, light being direction, Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. So this was familiar to them. And now, remember, in that culture, they did not have electricity. (laughs) And so they only had light by the sun or the moon or by lamps. Oil lamps were familiar to them. Remember the parable? The, the virgins didn't have oil in their lamps when the bridegroom came and they were left out of the wedding feast. Jesus said, you better have oil in your lamp when I come back. So this is an oil lamp. It's not too different than what they would have had in that culture. It's got oil in here. So if we could knock the lights out, y'all ready for this? Get ready. You know, it's interesting that when there's darkness... We don't have complete darkness, but if you could imagine, I actually visited, um, what's that prison off of San Francisco? Thank you. I actually went to Alcatraz. They put you in solitary confinement for about a minute. feels like eternity. Total darkness. And you can scream at darkness and tell it to go away. <laughs> you can get mad at darkness. You can get frustrated at darkness. You can do chants and stuff to try to get rid of darkness. But there's only one thing that gets rid of darkness, and you know what it is? It's light. <laughs> Hallelujah. Many of you are very frustrated with the darkness in our culture today, and I am too in some ways. But you don't, you're not going to get rid of darkness by just being frustrated with it <laughs> or screaming and yelling about it. You're going to get rid of darkness by bringing light into the darkness. Hello, come on. That's what dispels darkness is light. Where light is, there is no darkness. (laughs) It takes it away. So Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, is first of all for salvation because we see darkness removed from our lives when we receive Christ as Savior and Lord. And He washes us clean, hallelujah. He gives us a new nature, hallelujah. And and, uh, we are given a, 
identity in Him and salvation in Him and righteousness in Him. But again, as we'll see on all of these, it's not just justification salvation, but sanctification salvation. What does light do? Light gives revelation. Light reveals darkness. Light reveals things that need to be revealed. And 1 John 1 says that, that if we bring things into the light, then the blood of Jesus can cleanse us of all sins. Then He can bring healing. Some of you, listen, are keeping things in the dark. God knows it. You're hiding it from yourself. Therefore, you are forfeiting the healing that He can bring. You need to bring it in the light. You need to be willing to face it. And I'm here to tell you, the more you get to know who God is, the more you'll be willing to say, God, I'm an open book. Have your will and way. I want your perfect will in my life. Lord, just expose anything that I need to see. And he's so gracious and loving and patient and timely and super sovereign to do that. <laughs> so we, it reveals revelation. It reveals dark things that we need to see. It reveals his character and nature to heal because his power is like laser light treatment in that area of your life. It'll go in and it'll burn out the bad and it'll bring healing to the good. And he'll restore you. Light also is that which you need for direction. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I won't know where to go without that light of your word and revelation and truth. Oh, how we need his light today when people are saying, oh, this is true, that is true, oh, this will give you meaning, oh, this will give you life. Like Austin said, oh, pornography, that's what you need. No, it isn't. That's darkness. That's evil. That's enslavement. You need the light of God the light of His Word, the light of His Spirit, the light of His power. So that's the light of the world. You can bring the lights up. Thank you. Is He your light? You received Him. You allowing Him to shine in your life, to bring that direction and to expose the darkness. Number three, He's the door for the sheep. Some of your translations will use gate. Or door. We have the door of the temple in the Old Testament. You have the gates of the city. Oh, I love the Passover door. Come on. The Israelites were enslaved to, Egypt, to the Egyptians. God says, take a lamb, slay it, put the blood over the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes to bring judgment... He will see the blood and he will pass over your house. Come on. That's where the word comes from. He'll pass over your house. You'll be saved. They'll be judged. My question to you is, do you have the blood of Jesus over the door of your heart? If so, he will pass over you. Judgment will pass over you. You get the righteousness of God. That's good news. All of that imagery with doors and gates, and they were a culture that raised sheep. Shepherding and sheep was very common in that culture, so you put the sheep in a pen, keeping them together, protecting them. We'll get to that when we get to the good shepherd. But the gate is how they got in, and the gate is what kept them in. But they could go in and out and find pasture when shepherded well, and we'll get to that. But in chapter 10, verse 7, let's go there. Chapter 10, verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door. Uh, uh, uh. Did, you, did you notice something there? The door. 
He didn't say, I'm a door. He didn't say, I'm one among many. We'll get to that in another incident here. He said, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, one way. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Oh, say saved. That's a good word, isn't it? Saved from sin, saved from judgment, saved from hell, saved from self. <laughs> this is a good word. It's really a good word. In the Greek, sozo, saved, and we'll go in and out, find pasture. So justification, salvation, sanctification, salvation. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So when you go into a house, you have to come in through a door. This is the way in. You don't get in through a window or something. You go in the door. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. There's so many cool things that this door thing has in the Bible. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. But he is the door. He's the way in. He's the only way you can be forgiven of sin. He's the way to be reconciled with God. Praise God, there's a door. Praise God, we don't have to go, oh, I wonder how you get in. You get in this way, that way. wonder if I do enough good works, I'll get in. Oh, there's a good window, that looks good. No, it's through the door. He's the door. <laughs> Praise God, we have a way in. And he is so good after we're justified, saved. Now, you can go out, you can get some good food, you can go out and minister, you can come back in, be refreshed, go back out into the dark world with the light, because later he says, you are the light of the world. Wait, I thought you were the light. Yes, but I'm living in you, now you're the light. <laughs> How cool is that? Because we carry his light. We're the light of the world. We go into the dark places. We go in the, with the good news. We go to bring health and healing and salvation to others. Through him, we point them to him, not us. I'm not the answer. He is. Glory to God. I'm the door, he says. Now, I believe, too, that a door, Revelation, he says, I open doors no one can shut. I shut doors no one can open. Boy, I've seen this in my life. Super sovereign God. <laughs> He'll open doors. If you're walking with him, this is why it's such an adventure to follow Jesus. He will open doors in your life and say, I know it's scary. I know it's going to be a little risky, but I'm with you. Got a new door I want you to go through. Got a new calling for you. It's a new chapter in your life. I believe this is a prophetic for some of you maybe in the room or watching online today that God's brought you here today and you have some doors that you've been wrestling with whether you're to go through you're sensing kind of a new calling, a new adventure, or, or maybe some new uh, ministry, new ways of serving, or maybe radical generosity, but some of you are right on the edge of something, and today God is saying, that's my door. I'm opening that door. I want you to go in. I want you to go in. It's a new season. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be scary, but it's going to be exciting if you'll follow me, if you'll continually feast on me. He's the door, beloved. So it's salvation, and I believe it's new beginnings. Number four, this is the one right now that is ministering the most to me. Just 
because of some things that have gone on this week in my life, but also because I so long as a pastor to be a good shepherd. I want our church to shepherd people well, and we're going to see. So hang with me here. Pay close attention because this, this idea of being the good shepherd is salvation and constant care. Shepherding was, was very involved. By the way, I've been watching an interesting documentary. Any of you seen this documentary about, I think it's called Centarians, people who live to be 100 or more? This dude's gone all over the world, and uh, he's found the places where people live the longest. Okinawa, Japan is the, is the number one spot, and he's, and he's discovering all these cool things that go into living long. Um, it's really fascinating, and one of them is that it's a, that people that have, they work hard, they exercise a lot, they're on their feet a lot, they're doing things physically, but it's a low-stress job. And one of the places they go were shepherds. Um, because they're out in nature, they're getting all that vitamin D, of course, but they're exercising, they're using their body. But for the most part, kind of a low-stress job in the sense that, that, you know, they're caring for sheep, they're making sure they're well-fed and all that. Now, I'm not sure that I could agree with that when it comes to pastoring. <laughs> but the more I abide in him, the less stress I have, because ultimately I'm just an under-shepherd. He's the good shepherd, hallelujah. And it's his church. Y'all know I put that on all my correspondences. Jesus head of the church. But I love fleshing this out. So hang with me. This is good. So in the Bible, again, sheep and shepherds, common in the culture, common in the Bible. The, Psalm 23, the Lord is my. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep aren't real smart, if you study this. <laughs> they're, I, I hesitate saying they're dumb animals. But here's the, here, rather than be negative on it, here's the deal. They need shepherding. Without shepherding, without guidance, they will do things that are not good, kind of like us. <laughs> they won't eat things they should. They'll eat things that they shouldn't eat. They'll go and jump off a cliff. They'll just do weird things. They, they'll separate from the others, which makes them more vulnerable. Wolves and bears come in and attack and kill. So sheep, without a good shepherd, are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You ever heard that song, that great hymn? Take my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy course above. So we're like sheep. We go astray unless we're shepherded. And he's the good shepherd. Aren't you glad? So let's look at this. John chapter uh, 10, verse 11. Right after the abundant life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You're going to see this three times. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of wolves out there coming after you. So why you need to be connected to the good shepherd and you need to be in a good church that shepherds well. No perfect church. If you find it, don't join. It won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> but... Uh, a place that you're well-fed, leaders do things that aren't easy, but will do, the, do things to protect the flock, but also love the injured lamb. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, for being that. I love my own. Aren't you glad for that? And my own know me. Do you know him? Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. Praise God. 
and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Man, you see these studies of these shepherds. They call, and the sheep come. If you ever go to the YouTube and watch that video where the guy's in Israel, he's, the, the visitor guy calls, does the exact same call, that, or tries to do the same call as the shepherd. Sheep don't do anything. The shepherd calls, they come running right toward him. It's awesome. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, third time he says that, that I may take it up again. So the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. That's justification, salvation. And Jesus, as the good shepherd, constantly cares for us. Guys, this is so good. Jesus is our good shepherd. That involves the rod and the staff. They comfort me. The rod was used to fight off wolves and bears and other things that would come after the sheep. You come after one of mine, that shepherd, truth. Mm, don't mess with my sheep. Praise God, it's also used to kind of prod them if needed, you know, the little, sometimes we need a little kick in the booty. <laughs> like a Rider of a horse, got to spur, spur one another to love and good deeds. That's a term used for spurring the side of a horse. But also, he's got the, the rod and the staff. And so the staff was used when a, a, a lamb or a sheep would, would stray. Who wants to be my guinea pig? Andy. Love you, brother. <laughs> By the way, this dude, stand up, Andy. This dude was on the UGA swim team back in the 70s. 60s. 60s. Come on. Anyway, an man, anyway, man. and he's still, he still got the, he still got it. So when a sheep or a lamb would stray, sometimes the shepherd would have to do that. But you know what's awesome about all this? It's all because he loves us. He wants to protect you. You're straying into something you ought not stray into, whether it's something on your phone or a relationship or something else, and he loves you enough. He disciplines those whom he loves, Hebrews chapter 12. That's a good father. I tell our men all the time, men, we need to be men of steel and velvet. <laughs> You know, it's, it's truth and grace. That's my heart as a pastor. That's my heart for this church. Truth, we sometimes have to take a strong stand. We say this is sin. This is not acceptable. Truth says we're going to protect our sheep. That's why we do ministry safe. To protect the body. But grace says... No matter what you've fallen into, no matter what you've done, if you're willing, Jesus can forgive and heal. And if you'll allow us, we will help you. We will put that injured lamb over our neck and bring it back into the fold and put the oil on the wound and help them heal. That's our heart. That's the heart of Jesus. Truth and grace. Sometimes truth is hard to hear. 
I mean, you look at the whole church discipline thing in Matthew 18. That's hard, man. That is just that just you lose sleep at night. When you have to go to a brother or sister and say, Man, I love you too much to let you keep doing this. You're ruining your life. You're ruining your family. You're ruining your marriage. You've just assigned your children to counseling. Brother, I can't let you do that. Get help, man. The pornography's going to kill you. You're flirting with that affair. Wake up. Wake up. That's what you do when you love somebody. But at the same time, you say, man, if you'll repent, the blood of Jesus will forgive any and all sin. And he not only will forgive, he can heal you. He can go to those deep places. Praise God, Austin. You're lying about, man, I'm getting healing. I'm getting counseling. It's hard, but it's good. Love that phrase. It hurts so good. (laughs) It hurts. But what's going to hurt worse? You not getting help. Come on, you're watching online. You know your life is about to go off the cliff. Get help. Come clean. Don't let the enemy take you out. Jesus offers you all of this stuff we look at today. He's the good shepherd. Hallelujah. All right, number five. I am the resurrection and the life. Rich did a great job a few weeks ago. John chapter 11 healing or the raising of Lazarus. You know what I love about this? It's like he says this before he does this. (laughs) I love it. He ain't big talk, no do. He's big talk, big do. He's like, I'm going to tell you, first of all, that I'm the resurrection of life, and then I'm going to really show you that how true this is. I'm going to actually raise a guy from the dead. Who can do that but him? (laughs) I love this. And so in John chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Aren't you glad for that? Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Vivian, we just had Al's funeral recently, right? And what good news is it? I mean, this this is so applicable. You know, that though... Al died, yet he lives. (laughs) And I've done a lot of funerals in 38 years of pastoring, and this is a great truth. It's not just, you know, oh, say these things to make the family feel better. This is true. This is Jesus saying that to live is Christ, to die is gain, absent from the body, at home with the Lord, that though we die physically, we live with him forever. Hallelujah. Why? Because of what he did at Calvary, shedding his blood for our forgiveness. Third day, he rose again and gives us resurrection. Hallelujah. We will rise because he rose. He defeated sin. We get victory over sin. He defeated Satan. We have victory over Satan. He is eternal life. We have eternal life if we're in him and he's in us. Glory to God. He is the resurrection and the life. So he gives salvation again, justification, salvation. But sanctification, salvation is the abundant life, life that's full of purpose, meaning, power, restoration. And this is the beautiful thing about every one of these. I think every one of these I am's point to what we get when we're born again, but what we have in Christ now and what we'll have forevermore. (laughs) Oh, it's justification, sanctification, and ultimately glorification. Number six, this one's huge. 
Listen carefully, especially in our inclusive, everybody gets a trophy culture. Don't even get me started. You know, everybody is included. Everybody gets a trophy. All roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to God. Really? Well, let's look at what Jesus said in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, what about the person who is a good Buddhist? What about the good Muslim? What about the good church member who's never given their life to Christ and really repented and received Jesus? What about the person who says they're a Christian, they've been through confirmation, they've looked like they are, say they are, even been baptized, but they've never given their life to Christ. They're not born again. Jesus said, I never knew you. So let's just unpack this because this is huge in our culture today. Jesus' claim of exclusivity here. I am the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way to God. And as C.S. Lewis said wisely, either this is true and he's Lord God, or he's a liar, he knew it wasn't true, but he lied, or he's a lunatic, has the intelligence of a person with his brains like a poached egg, so he, he was delusional. He thought he was God, but obviously he wasn't. There's no other option. He, it's not an option that he was just a good man or a prophet. A good man or a prophet would never claim what he claimed about himself if it weren't true. So he's either Lord, he's either liar, or he's a lunatic. There's no other option. But why would he make such a claim? Here's why. Because there's a big problem called sin. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. The penalty, the just penalty for sin is separation from God and eternal death and, and, and damnation. That's what we deserve because of our sin before a holy God. There's no way to remove that barrier on our own. There's no stain remover that you and I can do on our own. It's no amount of good works, religion, giving all your money to the poor. None of that is going to remove the sin barrier between you and I and God. There's only one solution. It's the blood of Jesus. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. The only thing that removes the stain of sin is the blood of Jesus that is why he can say he's the only way to God, because he's the only one who removes the barrier between us and God. Hallelujah. It's not through Muhammad. It's not through Hare Krishna. It's not through Buddha. It's not through religion. It's not through good works. It's only through the blood of Jesus. And so he loved you enough to tell you this. Glory to God, we have a door that actually goes in the house. <laughs> if you're driving a car today, aren't you glad there's a key that works? Aren't you glad that every key doesn't work? <laughs> there's one key that works, and it'll drive your car. There's one way of salvation. It's Jesus Christ. You must receive Him to be born again. And this is why we must take the good news to a world that so desperately needs this. This isn't the only place that it's mentioned. Acts 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no other name. No other name given among men whereby we must be saved. 
2 Timothy 2 and 5. There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. One mediator, one way, one stain remover. So Jesus here is salvation, and he's also everything we need because he's the way, the truth, the life, the daily life, the sustaining life, the abundant life. He's all of that and even more. Have you received him? Is he your life? Is he your way, truth, and life? Finally, number seven, he says, I'm the true vine. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, look at this, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 4, four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Love this passage. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So again, in that culture, this is a branch. You picture this as being like a vine and a branch. But in that culture, what they would have been most familiar with is a grapevine because grapes were a common thing that they raised there. They grew there. So this is a grapevine. So what Jesus is saying is that I am the vine, you are the branches. And so the vine is what gives life to this. And the Bible talks about our salvation. We are grafted in by his power and sovereignty. He's super sovereign. He grafts us in to himself when we get born again saved. Justification, salvation. We are grafted in. We are the branch. And what's key here is the abiding point right there. If that branch doesn't stay connected, it will not have the nutrients it needs and the sap it needs and all that it needs, so to speak, to give it life, to keep these. You know, this was just cut this morning, and already these, these leaves are getting a little uh, not so alive. It, Tomorrow, it'll be all dried up. Shows how quickly life is drained if it's cut off from the source. We need, like the bread and all these others, we need to stay connected through the Word, prayer, fellowship, praying without ceasing, service, being filled with the Spirit, staying connected to the body, all that comes with abiding. But did you notice also that he talks about pruning? Part of the sanctification journey is that there's times in our lives when we need to be pruned. And God says, this needs to go. That relationship that's not helping you spiritually needs to go. That stuff you've been looking at on your phone and computer needs to go. And some of these are smaller and bigger than others, but... The beautiful thing about pruning, as he says here, it, it allows this to be more fruitful. It's not that he just wants to be a killjoy. It's not that at all. He prunes us that we might bear more fruit and yield to him. And there's things in our lives that you've held on to. Maybe you've been hurt or abused and you've got that unforgiveness toward that person. And God takes that out and he prunes it. Now, after first service, somebody came up and they said, uh, I know you talked about God pruning us, but what about us saying, God, I, I need you to prune this area? I'm saying that's all the better, that you're so sensitive to him, you're walking in the Spirit, 
that's actually the ideal. But there's also this. Sometimes, ooh, sometimes he has to take out the big dog, trimmer. And actually, I love this because uh, somebody who's uh, getting a master's in, in uh, horticulture at UGA came up after first service, and she had a great thing. She said, when you do the big cuts like this, she said, actually, that produces even greater growth. Because when you trim this, one, another one may come here, but when you trim here, a bunch more come. And I thought, how cool is that? When we allow God to do the deeper issues of surgery in our life, going back to our past, doing the, the restoring the foundations, going through the seven steps to freedom, Neil Anderson, those times when God has to do the big, bring out the big dog, that will actually produce greater fruit in your life. How cool is that? That's the master gardener. So the bottom line today is that Jesus is everything we need for every situation. So let's review. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the true vine. Now there's one more bonus, real quick, bonus. John 8 and 58. Before Abraham was born, I am. In, in, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is being called by God to confront Pharaoh. And, and Moses is like, Lord, who do, God, who do I tell them sent me? I don't think I can do this. Going to Pharaoh, he's intimidating. He's way up here. I'm just a peon. And God says, tell him I am sent you. Tell him the I am sent you. And then Jesus says, I, before Abraham was born, I am. What a claim to deity. Jesus was in the past. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus shall be. Hallelujah. And that means He is in your past. He's been working in your past to bring you to where you are right now. He is in your present right here, right now. Today, He can touch your life. And if, he, if you allow Him to, He can be in your future. Hallelujah. Every step. He'll be with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, next week, next year, and all of eternity if you yield your life to Him. Hallelujah. Beloved, how in the world could you come away from all that we've learned about Jesus today and not surrender afresh? You're not saved to give your life to Him. I, I, I don't understand how you could hear this and, and say, I don't want Jesus. Woo! Scary. So I invite you online, in the room. If you're not saved, get saved today. We're going to have extended worship in response. Plenty of time. Next 20, we have 20 more minutes. Worship team, come on up. 20 minutes of just worshiping this wonderful Jesus. Prayer team, get your spots. Go to your spots, please. Get ready. Come for prayer. Come to the front. I'll be down here. I'll pray with you. Get saved. Give your life to Jesus. And if you are saved, just say, Lord, I love you. Oh, I surrender to you, Jesus. Be my all in all. Be my everything. Maybe you're, you're in a situation in your life right now and it's hard. Just turn to him. Lean to him. Press into him. Eat the bread of life. Get prayer from somebody. The bottom line today, he can do it all. You can do everything you need. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for all that you are, Jesus. Thank you that you are salvation. Thank you that you give new purpose. You give forgiveness. You give healing. You give power. You give direction. You give truth. You 
give wisdom, you give companionship, you give the body of Christ, you give fresh start, you give encouragement, you give discipline. Oh, Jesus, you're all we need. I hope we can say you're all we want. We know you're all we need. Lord, you're all I want. Be our all in all. Be our life. Not just our way in truth, but our very life. Now, Holy Spirit, we just say, have your will and way in this place. Let there be much ministry and response as you would lead. We're not going to pressure or do anything that's fleshly. You lead, you direct. Holy Spirit, just, just blow through this room. Spirit, the wind blows where it wishes. We just say, Spirit, blow where you wish. Blow where you wish during this time. stand together and just worship the Lord. The altar's open. Prayer team available. We've got 20 minutes. Just press in, worship, respond. Oh, mm-hmm.